We're going through the book of 1 Peter, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we are in chapter 3. If you could please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Peter, chapter 3. Verse 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will come running at you. Nice and high. Here we have another one here. A Bible up here. Let's see how fast you can do the 30-yard dash. Steve. <laughs> They're looking around back there. I'll tell you what. They'll, they'll bring one up. But let's start reading as they do and try not to be distracted when they run by you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we need you to really pierce our hearts with it this morning. Give us understanding. Give us a vision, Lord, of marriage. Give us, Lord, a picture of the beauty of marriage. Lord, fill us with the Spirit. I pray that for every man and woman in this room. that, Lord, we would be able to make a difference in this world by drawing men, women, and children to you by the example of our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. We... Uh, have been in First Peter for a while now. I have given the context here a number of different times. This letter written in about 64 A.D., 65 A.D. It is in the middle of a worldwide persecution of Christians. Peter is sending a letter to the Christian community really throughout the known world, instructing them on how it is to live in the midst of such a time as that. And so one of the things that happened, among others, was the Emperor Nero 
at the time, had burned Rome, apparently to clear it out for a building project of his. And the people were very upset, and so he needed a scapegoat, and who did he choose? He chose the Christian community, which at that time was still small, although it was growing throughout the empire. And he, he, he uses this lie that the Christians had started this fire in Rome, the, the capital, the center of the known world, and um, people embraced the lie. A persecution uh, brought out. Christians were being arrested, sentenced to death, killed for their faith. What do you do when people around you start believing lies about you or about God or about the church or about Christianity? What do you do? Peter answers this question. We went over that actually in chapter 2. He said, for this is the will of God. He's writing to them. In 1 Peter 2.15, he says that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Peter says, people believe lies about you or about God or about Christianity. Shut them up. Not by putting them in a stranglehold and forcing their mouths shut. Not by doing that, but by living such good lives that you prove them wrong. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So Peter goes on to give examples of doing good. In verse 6, uh, 17, he says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Verse 18, servants be submissive to your masters. So we went over just the importance of in the workplace, what being good looks like. In here at chapter 3, where we have arrived today, he introduces another example of this type of life that will put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, the type of life that will so impress people that it will change their view of God, their view of Christianity. What is it? It's a good marriage. It's a godly marriage. You know, I have been a pastor for many years. I've taught hundreds of messages. And it's been humbling because the Lord has ministered to a lot of people through the years. Stephanie, my wife, has taught many messages herself which have resulted in so many changed lives among the women. We have discipled dozens of young men and women. We've seen a lot of fruit in their lives. We're grateful for that. We certainly don't think we deserve to be in the calling that the Lord has put us in. We've made so many mistakes, but the Lord has been gracious. But listen, the thing that the Lord has used as much as anything, as much as all the messages, all the teaching, the counseling, the discipling, he's used the witness of our marriage. We've been married for 26 years. 
And because of the grace and power of God working in us, there's been, there's been love in the marriage, there's been affection, there's been laughter, there's been strength, there's been security. Have there been problems? Yes. Trials? Yes. Arguments? Of course there are. But by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, the Lord has taught us what marriage is about, and he has tremendously blessed our marriage and used it. To silence the ignorance of foolish men, meaning to, to, to soften people's hearts as to what Christianity really is all about. Listen, if you think in order to bear fruit in your Christian life, you need to get up here and, and, and preach from a pulpit. Or, or preach messages, you're so greatly deceived. Believe me, the fruit that you can bear through just a godly marriage alone, apart from anything else, is just awesome. It's extraordinary. If you want to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men whose view of God and people uh, who follow God is all messed up, if you want to draw people to Jesus Christ, if you want your life to be a witness to the truth of Jesus Christ, that he, he is the way, he is the truth, he's the life like he says he is, you can do it with a godly marriage. So 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us how to have one. It says in the first verse, wives... Likewise, be submissive to your husbands. Now, to some of you, this may seem crazy. This may seem outdated. It may even seem cruel. But listen, I want you to give the word of God a chance here. This is, these verses are verses almost identical to them or are in five books at least in the New Testament. God repeats things when he knows we don't want to accept them. I want you to give the word of God a cha- chance here. Listen, marriage as an institution is in a free fall in our society. Marriages which have survived the test of time and are full of love and respect and laughter, not only are those marriages becoming more and more rare, even marriage itself (coughs) is becoming less and less popular. And so um, uh, uh, these articles coming up, which uh, are, are articles like marriage is obsolete, that type of thing. I just read yesterday that uh, one in four people say, well, I'm never going to be married. Well, no wonder, considering what marriages are now looking like. Is it any surprise when you look at how unhappy so many marriages are, it's because people have set aside what the Word of God says. Could it be that the reason for the place marriage is in is that we've turned our back on what God's design for marriage is? So again, we start off, wives, submit to your husbands. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, let me just put it plainly. It means, among other things, that God has, a desi- has designed marriage in such a way 
that the husband is given the ultimate responsibility for what occurs in the home and ultimate responsibility for the direction of the home. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve was tempted by Satan. Uh, Satan said, Eve, eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden and you can be like God. And she took the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave it to to her, her husband and he ate it. Second, but who did God go to to call on the carpet? Who did he go to? That's right. He went to the man, the husband. And this is God's design. The husband has the final accountability with what happens in the home and the direction of the home. This is how he designed it. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says this. It says... Are we going to forget this? Is this going to appear on the screen? Yes. All right. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Now, a fair question is, why? Why would God design marriage like this? I have two answers from the Bible. Number one, because it is beautiful. Because it is beautiful. There is nothing as beautiful as a marriage operating the way that God has designed it to be. The Bible says that marriage, the way God designed it, is holy. And the Bible says that holiness is beautiful. There's a verse in the Bible, appears four times in the Bible. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. We have this idea of holiness. Ah, it's boring or it's fearful or it's, 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 it's ugly. It's prudish. No, it's beautiful. Holiness is beautiful. And, and, and so you, you may ask, well, okay, what is holiness anyway? We use the word all the time. What is it? Listen, something is holy, if you're taking notes, if it is designed by God and it is operating in the way God designed it. Steve, can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Communion. Communion was designed by God. It was given to us by Jesus. And when we do communion in the way God designed, with grateful hearts, with hearts that are genuinely sorry for our sins, and we remember that the cup represents the blood of Jesus, uh, which covered our sins, and the bread represents his body that was broken for us, we're participating in something that is holy. And the Bible says when something is holy, it is beautiful. And it's a beautiful thing that takes place here twice a month, once or twice a month, when we are taking part in communion. Marriage is another example. It was designed by God, and when you are participating in it in the way God has designed it, you are participating in something that is holy. You're literally touching the holiness of God, something that is beautiful. Again, few things are more holy and more beautiful than a marriage operating the way it was designed by God to be. It is beautiful for many reasons. 
many reasons. But let me just give you one of them. One reason, it's a picture of beauty. It's, a, it's because it's a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. So in, a, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, it says, As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Listen, brothers and sisters, anything that is a picture of a relationship between the church and Jesus Christ, that is a beautiful thing, and that's exactly what the relationship between a wife and husband is. It's a picture of the relationship between the church and Christ. There you have it in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Why is it that God has ordered marriage with a woman in relationship of submission? Why? Why does he design it like that? Submission? Because it is beautiful. Because it is holy. And listen, a godly marriage, getting back to Peter's purpose for writing this letter, it will point people to the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. It will soften their heart towards God. It will put to silence the foolish talk of ignorant men, he says. It will direct them to Jesus. A marriage lived God's way, full of love, respect, affection, and laughter that perseveres the test of time will do that. When the world sees the beauty of a Christian marriage, their hearts will soften. It, they will, they will, they will, they will. Their hearts will soften towards the Lord. But let's get back to our question. Why? Why does God design it like this? I said there's two reasons. I had mentioned two reasons. The first, because it's beautiful. But the second is this, because nothing in life works without hierarchy. Nothing in life works without hierarchy. What on earth do I mean by that? Well, in virtually every area of life, success, as opposed to failure, requires that one person is ultimately responsible for success or failure. Listen, this is not rocket science. This is really simple. In an operating thing, the last thing that you want in an operating room, if you are having open-heart surgery, is to have Two surgeons who think they're ultimately responsible. Oh, I think I need to close up this blood vessel. Oh, no, no, that's not it. It's this one. No, it's this. No, no, no. Wait, I'm in charge here. No, I am. Oh, no, let me have that scalpel. No, that's my. No, you don't want that. You want one person in charge in the operating room. When you're in an airplane. You don't want two people who think they're the head pilot. Well, no, I, we need to land it like this. No, no, it's like this. No, 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 no I, I'm in charge here. I'm the pilot. No, you don't want that. Worst of all, you do not want two quarterbacks on a football field. <laughs> you don't want that. Everyone knows that never works. Actually, it doesn't even work 
you know, and this is the team's experiments every once in a while with putting one quarterback for one set of downs, another quarterback, never works. All of life is like this. I was in the corporate world for many, many years. There had to be a CEO. Co-presidents are just co-presidents of a company or even a team or, or just a recipe for failure. Someone has got to be accountable. Marriage is no different. Here's the tragedy. 50 or 60 years ago, many churches in the United States of America began writing off chapters like 1 Peter chapter 3. That's foolish, that's harmful, that's old-fashioned. They carved, carved these passages out of the Bibles, among many others. Is it any wonder why marriage is in the place it is today? Is it any wonder why one out of four marriages... And one out of four people, rather, that never want to get married at all. So listen, this begs, all this begs a question. Another fair question. If God has designed marriage in such a way that man has the ultimate responsibility, well, that almost sounds like, is, is God saying women are in some way inferior Because this is the rub, right? This is what really starts stirring up people. That seems to suggest that women are in some way inferior. Not a chance. The Bible says in the book of uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, he says there is neither... In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. A co-pilot on an airplane may be much better at flying than a pilot. But that does not mean the co-pilot should not submit to the pilot's authority. In fact, if he doesn't, everyone on the plane may be put at risk. Same thing in a marriage. They're equal in the sight of God. And in fact, it, when it comes to godly character, the, 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 the wife may be in a much better, better place. And she may be a lot uh, better at just doing the stuff of life. She may know more about the Bible, whatever. But if she does not submit to the authority of the husband, she w- would be putting the marriage and likewise the whole family at risk. It's like any other institution in the whole world. Why should we think marriage is different? Consider Jesus himself. It says throughout the Gospels, Jesus made a point um, that in all things he was submitted to the Father. It says this in John 5.30, My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He, he repeatedly said that he was submitted to the will of the Father. Now, does that mean he is not equal to the Father? Any heretics in here? <laughs> no, G- Jesus is equal to the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, perfectly equal, distinct personality, all one. The Father's not greater than him. The Father is not superior to him. 
they are equal. So it's, in, it's the same thing in, 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 in marriage. The Bible says that in Christ, there's neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And it's, it's hard for me to, to, to overemphasize, by the way, the value that the Bible puts on women, the life and ministry of women. There are parts of the character of God, for example, which a man cannot express, but a woman can, uh, which simply cannot be reflected in the life and ministry of a man. It must come from a woman. And consider in the Bible some of the maternal and the feminine characteristics that are attributed to God. I've just put up a, a couple verses. Here is Deuteronomy chapter 32, a famous verse. As an eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young and spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them and beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead Israel. Are you following me here? Here's another one in the book, uh, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. This is Jesus speaking, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Just the importance and the value of women, not only in a marriage, but in ministry and as a reflection of God's glory and character, which will draw men and women to himself. Jesus knew all this. What a critical role uh, women had in reflecting the love and glory of God. That's why he put women on his ministry team. People say, what do I think about feminism? I love feminism. You know who was the greatest feminist of history? Who was it? Some of you have trouble saying that. Jesus was the greatest feminist in all history. He was. If you don't believe me, you just go to the Middle East today and you take a look at, at women who have not been liberated by the influence of Christianity. And here we go. So in this verse, uh, Jesus, he knows this about women. He puts them on their ministry team. And the 12, who are the 12? The apostles. And the twelve were with him, Jesus, and certain women. Mary called Magdalene. Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Herod's steward. Uh, she was from the royal house uh, of Herod. And, and Susanna. And then in the book of Mark, it says there were also women who followed him. It, there, this is a description of Jesus' ministry team in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke. Jesus Christ, at a time when women were not much more than a piece of property, liberated them, gave them dignity, and placed them really front and center in so many ways. I'm going to speak to my beautiful wife again. Do you see a book and a paper underneath that? Is there a book there? No, a book. Is there a little book? Can you bring that up? No, I want my beautiful wife to bring it up. 
All right. Okay. See, I get it. Every chance I get with her, I, this is all planned. No, I, I'm not going to lie. I, just, I, I didn't say that. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Here is a book by John Piper. It's called What's the Difference? What's the Difference? I highly recommend it. Uh, we have 10 copies out uh, in the bookstore that we're, we're putting out, and it is, he just does such a good job. I mean, John Piper, <laughs> it just seems like he th- it, you read him, and it's like he thought for 15 minutes about every individual word, everything so carefully worded. But I want to I share this with you because this puts it all in, in sort of, we've been talking about Bible verses and theology and doctrine. This puts it right down to earth. He says, when I was a boy growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, my father was away from home about two-thirds of the year. His father was away at, at, on work. He says, my mother handled the finances. She paid all the bills. She dealt with the banks and creditors. She once ran a little laundry business on the side. She taught me how to cut the grass and splice electric cord, pull Bermuda grass by the roots, paint the eaves and shine the uh, dining room table with a chamois and drive a car and keep French fries from getting soggy. Oh, man. She helped me with maps and geography. She showed me how to do a bibliography and work on a science project on static electricity. She dealt with the contractors when we added a basement. It never occurred to me that there was anything she couldn't do. I heard one time that women don't sweat, they glow. (laughs) Not true. My mother sweated. It would drip off the end of her long, sharp nose. He said it, not me. Sometimes she would blow it off when her hands were pushing the wheelbarrow full of peat moss, or she would wipe it with her sleeve between the strokes of a swing blade. Mother was strong. I can remember her arms even today, 30 years later. They were big. And in the summertime... They were bronze. But it never occurred to me to think of my mother and my father in the same category. Both were strong. Both were bright. Both were kind. Both were, would kiss me and both would spank me. Both were good with words. Both prayed with fervor and loved the Bible. But unmistakably, my father was a man and my mother was a woman. They knew it and I knew it. And it was not just a biological fact. It was mainly a matter of personhood and relational dynamics. When my father came home, he was clearly the head of the house. He led in prayer. He called the family for devotions. He got us ready for church. He drove the car. He guided the family where we would sit at a restaurant. He called for the waitress. He paid the checks. He was the one we knew we would reckon with if we broke a family rule. These were the happiest times for my mother. Oh, how she rejoiced to have daddy home. She loved his leadership. Later, I learned that the Bible calls this submission. That's a home run right there. That's what submission is. It's beautiful. 
has man defiled it? Has woman defiled it? Oh, yes. But it's a beautiful thing. He goes on, he says, it never occurred to me that leadership and submission had anything to do with superiority and inferiority. And it didn't have anything to do with muscles and skills either. It was not a matter of capability and competencies. It had something uh, I could never, it had something to do with something I never could have explained as a child. Over the years, I have come to see from Scripture and from life that manhood and womanhood are the beautiful handiwork of a good and loving God. And then finally, he says this. This is wonderful. Thank you for your patience. He says this. Women are weaker in some ways, and men are weaker in some ways. So verse 7 refers to women as the weaker vessel. In response to that, Piper's saying, he's a Bible guy, if ever there's a Bible guy. He's saying, women are weaker in some ways, men are weaker in others. Women are smarter in some ways, and men are smarter in some ways. Women are more easily frightened in some kinds of circumstances, and men are more easily frightened in other kinds of circumstances. It is very misleading to put negative values on the so-called weaknesses that each of us has by virtue of our sex. Listen, God intended for all the weaknesses that are characteristically of a man to call forth and highlight a woman's strengths. Likewise, he intends for the weaknesses that are characteristically feminine to call forth and highlight men's strengths. Men and women equal in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord, in his sovereignty, has chosen to design a marriage in the way described in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, that word submission, what does it mean? On our website, we have a series that I taught a number of years ago. Unfortunately, I taught the, the series, we recorded it on a tape cassette, and, and as it transferred to an audio file, I, I, I have a voice that sounds like one of the Bee Gees. I, I'm, I really apologize for this, but I, uh, if you can make it through listening to me, um, we, we deal with at length in four different uh, audio files on our websites on this subject, but a, a few things on this word submission. And and guess what? I'm going to change direction a little bit and I'm going to talk to husbands. Notice husbands, chapter 3, verse 1, wives, likewise, be submissive to your husbands. Who is that addressed to? Anyone? Wives. Do you know how many times I'm in a counseling session where the husband's like, She doesn't submit to me. (laughs) You know, it it occurred to me, and and, and in one of these sessions, uh, because I get so frustrated with this, it occurred to me, and listen, I've had trials and made so many mistakes uh, in, 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 in our marriage as we've grown over the years, but it occurred to me one day to turn to Stephanie and say, Stephanie, in 25 years, how many times have I asked you to submit? She said, never. Guys, it doesn't say, husbands, tell your wives when they're not submitting, you need to submit to me. Listen, if they're not submitting to you, that's your fault. You're doing something that is not calling forth 
submissive behavior. You're doing something. You're, you're, you're acting um, you know, with, a, with a hard head or you're being hard-hearted or you're, you're not loving in such a way that she will just naturally, no supernaturally, just submit to you and follow you. Submission does not mean that, oh, cool, man, I get to choose the color of the carpet. I get to choose what dinner we go to tonight. I get to choose what vacation. No, the Bible says this. It says, can we get Ephesians 5.25 up? It says, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Guys, if you love your wife like Christ loves the church, guess who, guess who chooses the color of the carpet? Get, just, take, just take one guess. One guess. Guess who chooses where to go to dinner, where to go on vacation. That's what, submission is not about those things. Submission is supremely. Guys, you're the first to forgive, the first to pick up your Bible and read it, the first to pray, the first to get everyone out of bed and go to church, the first to put your foot down and say, we are following the Lord. That's what, it, that's what leadership means, and that's what supremely the wise are being asked to submit to here. Now, it is true that from time to time in the course of a marriage, and at the beginning of the marriage marriage much more so, that there's a deadlock as to some practical issue. Well, let me tell you what to do, men and women, husbands and wives. You wait, and you go back, and you seek the Lord. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit says the same thing to both parties. God's not saying one thing to one party and another thing to another. God's not saying to one, look at you, the, the, the kids, your kids, this child's supposed to be in public school, and to the other, no, this child, child is supposed to be in a private school. No, 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 God doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He says the same thing to both. And by the way, in our family, it was different for every kid on that particular subject. So we really needed to seek the Lord together. And so uh, 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 what submission means. Uh, one other thing. If the, you know, a, wonderful, uh, a, a wonderful thing about growing in the Lord is you l- learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And one of the most wonderful ways to be trained in that is in a marriage where the voice of the Lord is constantly being tested. Now, another thing about what submission means. Submission doesn't mean the wife does not have a voice in the marriage. Now, I can tell you that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. I run to my wife for counsel and input. I, I, after my sermons on Sunday afternoon, I plead with her for input, but, but really just in the stuff of life. You're, the, the Bible says it's in the, the, the success 
it comes through the advice of many counselors. Let me tell you a guy who your number one counselor is. It's your wife. God put her there. She has a prophetic role in your life. And, and you know what the wonderful thing, as you, as you grow in the Lord, very, very few situations where I have had to in the past 10 years, you know, we disagree on this thing. Let's go this way. Very, very few. It's, it's, it, as, as two people are growing in the Lord, there's, there's one, ver, one voice, the Holy Spirit's voice, rises to the surface. So very quickly, I just, uh, it says, wives likewise be submissive to your husbands. But then it says in verse one, even as some do not obey the word, that without a word, you, they may be won by the conduct of their wives. And this doesn't give you an out Ladies, if your husbands aren't following the Lord or not behaving the way they should be, and vice versa, this doesn't give you an out husbands and loving your wives and leading them if they are not obeying them. You do what God says and you live by faith, believing that eventually she's going to be won over by your godly conduct. Verse 2, it says, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, meaning a fear of God, they will be won over. Verse three, do not let your adornment, the word there in the Greek is cosmos, from which we get cosmetics. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Listen, we don't want a contest here, ladies, at church, of who is the most glamorous and most fashionable, okay? We know that you're all up on fashion. I, I, we know that. But, but when, when someone leaves the church, you don't want them talking about how you were dressed or what you look like. You want them talking about what? Your godliness, your knowledge of the word, your love. It, 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 says, it, it says here, um, let your beauty, verse 4, be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, some people have read this, and they come up with this conclusion that, you know, women, uh, they sort of need to walk around their house scared of their own shadow. <laughs> Let me just put that to rest. First of all, that, it's going to drive any man crazy if you're like that. But, but I, I was doing a Bible study in the book of Proverbs. And this wonderful verse, which many of us are familiar with. Do we have it there, um, Dave? An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. And I tell you, I don't know why I did it, but I looked up that word excellent. And I was shocked. Do you know how that word is trans? It's a word used dozens of times in the Bible. Do you know how that word is translated? Army. I'm not kidding. When a word is used to in in the Hebrew in the Old Testament for the army of Israel, that word. So an accurate translation of this and a wife who is like an army is the crown of her, own, of her husband. Now, some of you guys are thinking, whoa, 
And that is the last thing that I want, you know, coming home, you know, a woman meeting me with a bazooka and a hand grenade and a billy club, you know. Wait, that's not, that's not what I want. You're missing the point. An excellent wife is as an army that is at your side backing you up. Now, is that a phenomenal verse or what? An excellent wife, and a a wife who is like an army to you in the battle and the struggle of life is the crown of her husband. It says in verse 5, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you... If you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, you can call your husband Lord if you want. I wouldn't advise it. That's a little weird for the year 2014. And and, and guys, I don't know. I think you have an issue if you insist on something like that. The point is, is there's, there's a recognition in the marriage and a support and an encouragement that, look, the Lord wants to use you as a leader in this marriage. That's what it's talking about. Now, really important is the end of verse 6, which says, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. What's, what's the first reaction that many women, particularly women in bad marriages or who have grown up in wives where there has, rather in families where there's been abuse, what's their reaction to these verses? It's going to be, if I do this, what is being told, I'm going to get trampled and my life is going to get trashed. The Holy Spirit is saying here, don't give in to that fear. You believe and you do the word of God and you trust your life to God. Just as it said in the previous chapter about Jesus, it says, it says he trusted himself even in the face of abuse and be, being treated like a doormat himself. It says he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. And finally, it says in verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor of the wife as to the weaker vessel. We've already discussed that. And as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen, guys, if you're not treating your husband, rather your wives with love, your prayer life, will be hindered. Don't be surprised if your prayers go unanswered because let me tell you, this marriage thing, it's a holy thing. It's an illustration of the relationship between Jesus and his church. And when you, when you strike that relationship, not necessarily physical, but with your tongue or with your actions, you were doing the same thing Moses did when he struck the rock in the desert, in the wilderness, and got God real, ex- real upset because what does it say about that rock? That rock represented Christ. It was the rock that water flowed from. Guys, you don't want to mess with this beautiful picture that God has given you the privilege of being a part of. Let me close with this. You know, as we have been... <clears throat> to some 
really intense places on the mission field. And we have been in some of the worst terrible slums in the whole world. Our church. Last year when I was in Haiti, I go, we go two or three times a year to Haiti. Our church has, a, has, a, has, has helped start an orphanage there, and there's a, a wonderful church that we're involved with, with starting up that's now thriving, and lots of stuff going on there. But there's, there's two orphanages. One is for kids who were basically, they, they, they were more or less born without a mother or father, and they've, raised, they've been raised up in an, an orphanage down there, Calvary Christian Family, which is just a very safe, secure environment. There's another orphanage for teens where we've taken street kids off the street and put them in this um, orphanage. There's about 20 of the guys between 13 and 21. And as I've gotten, uh, last year when I, was, when I was listening to their story, something occurred to me because I started asking them about their families and I started asking them about their, um, the, their mothers or fathers. And in these families, usually, in this particular orphanage, usually one of them had a mother or father. And I was asking about that, and I was struck with the fact that the situation we have in the United States of America an untold amount of neighborhoods, some of which that our church ministers in, is so much worse than even the worst slums in Haiti and Brazil. Why do I say that? Because in the communities that we work in, in this city, every week, virtually, I won't say every, but three out of four come from a family in which uh, the kids come from a family in which the kid has three or four or five siblings, all with a different father. Five or six different fathers, all gone, playing no part in the raising of the child. That's worse than what you see in Haiti. I mean, the mom and dad, are, they, 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 they may be living together, or the dad may be a deadbeat, but you don't see this phenomena that we're seeing in this country. Marriage and family is in a place in this country which is worse than, in my opinion, from what I've seen. And I'm not claiming I've seen everything, but it's worse than 95% of the world. Why? Because we are so smart in the church that 40 or 50 years ago, the church started scrapping this whole idea of submission. Wives, submit to your husband. Well, that's for the Middle Ages. We scrapped it. And this is what we're eating now. Absolute devastation in so many communities. And guess what? Ladies, don't do that to men. You know, I was reading in Genesis chapter 4, Cain, one generation away from the fall of Adam and Eve, it says of Cain that he became a fugitive and a vagabond. Unfortunately, because of the nature of the fall of man, where sin, we did, Adam and Eve, they decided they wanted to be like God and they fell. The nature of, that is, of sin that is peculiar to a male 
is that he becomes a fugitive and a vagabond. And ladies, if you give him the opportunity and you tell him, no, you don't have to be the leader of the home, that's what they'll become. And that we, we have so much evidence of that in the United States of America. It is so, it's, it's tragic. It's, it's, it's enough to keep one weeping for days. We are paying such a high cost for, for diverting from the Word of God, which, by the way, the design that is, that is described for us here of a marriage is beautiful. We've scrapped something that is beautiful. Do men have to be held accountable? Absolutely they do when they're in marriages. But does that mean we scrap the whole system? That's a dangerous dangerous path to take. The good news is this, wives, if you support your husband in this way, which means, by the way, keeping him accountable, not just clamming up and not, not, not discussing issues in the marriage with open communication, the good news is that um, with Christ in, in the home, he will eventually excel at leadership. You can win him over. And even unbelievers will be won over. Doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it takes years. But, but the power of God. God is bigger than the sin issues that your husband has. His word is bigger. It's, 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 it's been tested by time. And it's beautiful. If you're willing to, by faith, run after it and obey it. Okay. We'll conclude now just with a worship song. If the worship team could, could come up. I, if you've been asked to pray, come up. I'd like to at this time just, the, there'll be different prayer couples um, up here. Uh, I'll be up here during the closing worship song. Listen, if, you, if something has been said in this, in, this, uh, in this message, you're a husband and you know that your, your behavior, your life, doesn't meet up with the standard in this letter, well, join the crowd. I'm there with you. We need the Holy Spirit. We need each other. We need to be in prayer with each other um, to, to walk in this way. If you want prayer, guys, husbands, come up. Wives, this is a very high and holy calling And if, I've, if, if something has been stirred up in your heart during this message where you want prayer, you, you want to see something better in your life, or maybe you just want to see something better in your marriage, maybe you're, you're, you're walking this way, you just want prayer. If you, or if you know someone who wants prayer along these lines. As we, why, why don't everyone rise now for the, for the closing worship song? And um, if you're not up here praying,